There's been this message burning in my heart, and this isn't going to be the first time I'm going to talk about it. But this is just going to be the first time that I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to unfold it in my own heart because I haven't spent massive amounts of intimate time studying this in the sense that I would normally study Scripture where I would read something time and time again. I'd pray about it. I'd ask the Lord, you know, what are you saying here? I was reading this as I'm going through the book of Mark just in my personal study. I've been trying to do um, a chapter a day. It's just where I feel like the Lord has led me. And as I came through chapter 6, the Lord just highlighted, Holy Spirit just highlighted to me the situation with John the Baptist and the death of John the Baptist. And the death of John the Baptist was revealed to me in a revelatory way that's not only pertaining to his death that we see plainly in Scripture in Mark chapter 6, but it deals prophetically with a heart's position and a heart's attitude. The death of John the Baptist deals with a heart's position and a heart's attitude towards God, towards his word, towards his messengers, and also specifically towards the message of Jesus and the message of the Holy Spirit to any individual in the world. So if your heart is somewhat fluttering as I'm talking about this, or the Holy Spirit comes upon you and puts his finger on an area in your life where he's saying, hey, right in this sweet spot right here, right in this place right here, this is the area where, where I want to talk to you right now. Just allow the Holy Spirit to touch that place because, again, he's going to touch mine as well. So I'm excited to hear what he's going to say. So I want to read this story, and then I want to unfold to you what the Holy Spirit said to me as I was reading this story. So in Mark chapter 6 and verse 14, Jesus had just sent out the disciples they were casting out demons. They were healing the sick, cleansing the leper. I mean, things were just going great for, for the disciples. I mean, they, were, they just were endued with power from on high. Everything was just, you know, the, this, this concept of, of this church, this, this synagogue of the Lord, this, this, this Jesus, Messiah, Mashiach, teaching the disciples the power that they were going to be received. And, and giving them a taste of what heaven looks like on earth, it says that King Herod started to hear what was going on in Israel. He started to hear what the disciples were doing. He was hearing about this Jesus guy. He was hearing about the miracles. And the miracles got his attention so much to the point that where we actually see something sort of unfold in the minds of the Jewish people of the day, that, you know, the Pharisees, um, the Pharisees, believed in resurrection, but the Sadducees didn't. And it's a real interesting concept here because it says this in chapter 6 of Mark, verse 14. It says, King Herod heard of him, Jesus, for his name was spread publicly. He said, John the Baptist had been raised from the dead, and therefore these miracles are at work in him. So here you have an individual living in sin. You have an individual who is a worldly man talking about spiritual principles. Get this now. He has worldly power, worldly authority. He has a worldly job. Think about this for a minute. He has a worldly job. He's, he's going to and fro. He's making executive decisions. He's signing orders. 
He's doing all these types of things that he's called to do as a, as a leader of a nation or as a leader of a corporate entity or as a leader of, of, of a business, if you will. However you want to apply Herod to your own situation, it says that King Herod, even in his, his secular mindset and his worldly mindset, had this concept of the supernatural. He believed that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead, and that's why these miracles were being performed, which I just think is profound that King Herod is believing in resurrection. So he's a secular guy living in sin, believes in the supernatural and the gifts of the spirit. That's his disposition. Okay, you have to keep this in your mind as I'm reading this. Think about Herod. Think about his mindset. Think about where he is. Think about who he is. And then we're going to read the rest of the story here. In verse 15, but others said he was Elijah, talking about Jesus. And yet others said he is the prophet or like one of the prophets. The prophet is referring to the prophet that Moses prophesied about in the book of Deuteronomy that was going to come like him. So when you hear that term, the prophet, they're waiting for the prophet that Moses prophesied about the Mashiach or one of the prophets. So Isaiah is, I mean, just whoever. 16, but when Herod heard of him, heard of it, he said, it is John whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. And then we unfold this story of the beheading of John the Baptist. Jesus made a statement before I read this story. Jesus made a statement. He said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done unto me. So I want you to think about this for just a second. John the Baptist is the forerunner of the Messiah. Jesus said, whatever you've done to any of these, the least of my brethren, you have done to me. You give them water, you've given it to me. You visit them in jail, you've, you've done it to me. If you haven't visited them in jail, then you didn't visit me. Everything that you do to the least of these, his brethren, he says... You've done that unto me. So if John the Baptist is one of his brothers and Jesus is saying, whatever you do to the least of these you've done to me, then whatever you've done to John the Baptist, you've done to Jesus. So whatever Herod has done to John the Baptist, he's done to Jesus. So whatever the worldly man has done to John the Baptist, whatever the worldly man has done in his, in his mind about the supernatural pertaining to the Messiah and anything else that may come, because John was a preacher of righteousness, anything that he that was done to John the Baptist by King Herod, King Herod essentially did that to Jesus. So put yourself in Herod's shoes here for a minute and think about this. Watch this, verse 17. Because Herod had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias had a grudge against him and would have him killed, but she could not. Why? For Herod feared John. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, but heard him gladly. Think about this for just a minute. Let me unfold this with you. Because Holy Spirit hit me so hard when I was reading this. And, and in, some senses, in some senses, he touched my heart in a couple of areas because 
I work in a business environment. It's fast-paced. Things are going on. Things are happening. Herod is working in this fast-paced environment. King Herod, he's, he's got to do all of these things. He's got all these responsibilities. But he decides to listen to this man, John, because he was a preacher of righteousness. And he has a place in his mind and in his heart for what John is saying. And he says, John's cool. I like listening to John. I like his words. Listen, I'm going to put him in jail, but I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to let anything bad happen to him. So essentially what he does is he has the word of God. He knows what God's speaking at that time. But because of the fact that he was so more wrapped up in the worldly responsibilities that he had and making sure that he was pleasing his family members and the people of his own household, he was willing to lock up the word of God even though he said it was okay. And Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done to me. So what Herod did was he decided to live in sin, live in the world, do what he needed to do. But in his mind and in his heart, he agreed with the message. And he took that message and he locked it away and said, yeah, I'm not going to let anybody touch my church stuff. But the rest of the week and everything else, I'm just going to I'm going to live and I'm going to do everything that I need to do. And I'm protecting him. It says he protected him. No, he didn't. He put him in jail. Why? Because his brother Philip's wife didn't like the message that John was preaching. Herod had made a decision to go after sin. He made that covenant with a Jezebel spirit because the Jezebel spirit is what tried to kill the prophet of God in the past. It was a wicked, adulterous, nasty woman who tried to kill Elijah with all these false prophets and she was married to the king of Israel. It's parallel. You have the woman who is wicked, who doesn't want to hear righteousness, who doesn't want to hear the things of God, who doesn't want to hear the words of God, the laws of God, who has connected with the king who's supposed to be leading the people in righteousness and she persuades the king no, we're going to kill. We're going to kill Elijah. So then you have Herod in the same situation, living in sin, living for the world, in a position of authority. This is going to be so important because next week when we talk about dominions and we start getting into principalities, all of this is going to unfold. So now I'm starting to understand why God's having us talk about this. This is cool. Herod is a principality. He, he is a prince. He is somebody who is a position of authority and he has the authority over the area to do and say what he wants to do and he locks away the righteousness of God because he's too concerned about protecting the sin in his life. Even though he agreed in his mind and in his heart that the word of God is the word of God and that John is a prophet. But he locks him away. Watch. I want to show you what happens after you lock it away. So somebody, every one of us in this room have a responsibility, a daily responsibility. Many of us work with people. We work in corporations. We work in businesses. We work with the kids. Whatever we do, we have a responsibility And our responsibility sometimes can try to rise above what God has called us to do because 
We want to make sure we get the things done that we need to do. And those things that we raise above the word of God and put first actually ends up locking the word of God away because we say, yeah, but I can't do that right now. I know I should talk to them, but right now is not the time. What does that mean? Right now, I have to do what the world's telling me to do because right now I have to put the word of God over here and stick it on the shelf for a moment. And when you start playing with that, when you start playing with that, when you start giving heed to that and and your heart starts to convict you and the Holy Spirit starts to speak to you, and if you don't adjust, watch. But a convenient day came. This is verse 21 of Mark 6. But a convenient day came when Herod on his birthday prepared a ceremonial dinner for his lords and commanding officers and leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you desire and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, whatever you ask of me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. She went out and asked her mother, what shall I ask? What's happening here? Something begins to tilt. A day comes. A day comes in your life where the word of God no longer can just be locked up. But a situation will arise where you have to really make the decision. Am I going to please myself? Am I going to go after this career? Am I going to go after this thing? Am I going to just keep pushing, 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 pushing to get where I want to get? At any expense or any cost there is, up to half my kingdom, up to half my heart, up to half my mind. I'm telling you guys, working in the corporate world like I do, I can't tell you how many times I've had the thought in my mind, God, how am I going to do this? Because this is going to take up hours of my brain and my soul today. And I'm supposed to love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind and all my strength. So if the world is asking me for my soul, and God's asking me to give him all my soul, I'm in this position now where I have to go, I'm supposed to love you with all that I have, but I actually have to give this company this little bit of stuff right here. And for me, that's a personal hard space. That's a personal place where I'm like, God, I don't want to give up. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, hey, jump off the cliff. You won't dash your foot against a stone. Scriptures start coming into my mind and the enemy's just like, no, nah, you don't need to worry about that. Don't just, you know, you're supposed to be doing what God tells you to do. And God's going, no, listen, I have you here because I need you to do something. I've got you in this position for a specific strategic purpose. You're here to bring the kingdom of God. So I need you to do what you've been asked to do. Be submissive. I need you to be in a position where you're respecting and honoring authority, even if they're unrighteous. I need you to show the kingdom of God like Daniel, but you can't give away your heart in the midst of it. And so Herod comes to this place where he's like, okay, guess what? I can have more. I've had Herodias, but now I can get her daughter to dance for me too. And if you've seen her and you've seen her daughter, like, man. He's already got something in his life that he never dealt with. 
and he just let it hang out. And he just took the word of God and he just locked it in a cage and said, I'm protecting this. You can do all that, but don't touch this. Don't touch this. You know, look, I, I do what I'm supposed to do and I do this and, and, and look, I pay my tithe and I show up and I volunteer and I do all these good things at the church and I'm all these types of things. But so don't touch that. Don't take that away from me. But over here, it's, well, what else? How, 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 farther, how much farther can I go? How much farther can I go? So Herodias decides that she'll dance for him. And, and whatever she asks for, whatever she asks for, he's like, okay, okay. What, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? And instead of being like the bride of Christ in spotless, blameless, and above reproach, going after the heart of Jesus, like, Jesus, what do we do? What do I got to do? How do I get closer? He's over here next to sin going, how do I get closer? How do I, where's the line? How far can I go? How far can I give myself to the world, to this secular career, to this secular job? How far can I give myself without losing Jesus' sight? Just don't cleft over the hill because you can see him here. But if you cleft over the hill, your head will start to duck down and you can't see him eye level. It's not supposed to be how far can we get away from him and still be okay. It's supposed to be how close can we get to him and still not look completely nutso to the world so that we can at least still reach people. (laughs) And even that's debatable. But watch. Verse 24, Mark 6, watch. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Think about this. The head of John the Baptist. If we're the body, Jesus is the head. What is she asking for? Cut him off at the head. You know why? I'm tired of hearing that preacher down in the cell. I'm tired. I'm, you know, I know that Herod, I know that Herod, there's a possibility Herod might turn. But if I can get John's head cut off, if I can get him cut off from the head, he's all mine. And I'm willing to forsake anybody, including my own child, to make that happen. It's disgusting. It's a spirit of Jezebel. But watch. Verse 25. She came in immediately with haste to the king and said, I want you to give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter at once. The king was extremely sorrowful. He was extremely sorrowful. That is sobering to me. Because even in the midst of all of his sin, even in the midst of all of his worldly pleasure, even in the midst of going after the world and going after the sin of the world and trying to cover up the sin of the world and actually saying that, well, John's good and I respect John and I like listening to John and I like his righteousness and I like what he's preaching. It doesn't necessarily completely fit my life in all areas, but I do like some of what he's saying. In the midst of all of that, he ends up killing what he was trying to protect in order to embrace the world even further, go deeper into sin, 
And from that place, he actually mourns the decision of leaving John dead, and yet he got what he wanted from the world. Cost him everything. The king was extremely sorrowful, verse 26. Yet for the sake of his oath and for those who sat with him, he would not reject her. The, the acceptance of man, the praise of man over the praise of God. He went right from one sin to a deeper sin to a whole nother sin. What was that? Rather than look like a fool to the world, he became a fool to God. So the king immediately sent an executioner, immediately sent an executioner, and commanded his head to be brought. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in the tomb. I find the next couple of verses interesting. The apostles met with Jesus and told him everything, both what they had done and what they had taught. So the script kind of flips. Why is it that in the middle of them, the mission of the 12, wherever you enter, like the mission of the 12 is from verse 7 to verse 12, and then it goes into King Herod in the, in, in the beheading of John the Baptist. Then it jumps in verse 30 and says, the apostles met with Jesus and told him everything both what they had done and what they had taught. Like all of a sudden, like we're just back to like, hey, everything's cool. The disciples are doing good, right? Watch. Then he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. What does that mean? To, to, what, I, what I believe the Holy Spirit told me and shared with me the reason why this whole story is right in the midst of this whole thing, what does it say? Jesus said, yeah, but you come away with me. And by the way, you're so busy and you're so consumed with me and my kingdom and what I have you doing and what I taught you and what you're teaching and what you're doing for the kingdom of God that you don't even have leisure time. You don't have time to be messing around. You don't have time to take up that offer of Herodias dancing. You, you don't have time to sit there and entertain the world and throw a party. You don't have time for that. All of your time needs to be consumed with me, seeking me, seeking my face, spending time with me. Why? Look at what it says in, in, in Romans chapter 1 real quick. Because I think Romans chapter 1 will make a little bit more sense to you in light of what, what was just shared. Verse, chapter 1, verse 16. Listen to the words. So Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I don't lock it away in a prison. I don't make it a part of my life. 
I don't make it something I do occasionally. I don't just agree with it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, what? In the gospel. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith, not by agreeing, by faith. A lot of people agree that the Bible is the word of God, but there's no faith connected to it. Watch this. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, listen, who suppress the truth through unrighteousness. How did the truth get suppressed to King Herod? He agreed with John. He liked hearing John. He even said he was protecting John. But he suppressed the truth through his unrighteousness. Verse 19 for what may be known about God is clear to them since God has shown it to them the invisible things about him his eternal power and deity have been clearly seen since the creation of the world and are understood by the things that are made so they are without excuse because although they knew God they did not glorify him or give thanks to him as God, but became futile in their imaginations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Guys, we're talking about a king. We're not talking about any king. We're talking about the king of Israel. We're not talking about any king. We're talking about the king of Israel. We're talking about somebody who has a heritage. We could say he grew up in the church. Somebody who has a heritage, we could say he only lived a couple of blocks from the temple. He knew the priests. He rubbed shoulders with the high priest. He knew the law. He even believed in the resurrection of the dead. I know a lot of people that say they believe in the resurrection of the dead. They they say they believe in Jesus. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. I believe in righteousness. I believe the message of the gospel. I believe the message of the cross. I believe those things. That's great. I'm glad that you, you believed them. But have you attached faith to them? Because faith is an action. It's a substance, which means it can be seen. Faith has substance, which means it can be seen. It can be expressed. It's tangible. It's evidence. I have to ask you guys, like, where are the areas in our lives myself included, where are the areas in our lives 
where we have locked up the word of God and allowed whatever the world is offering. You might not be in any deliberate sin. You might not even think what you're doing is sin. But where are the areas where your soul, that's your mind, your will, and your emotions, where are the areas that the world is consuming in your mind, your will, and your emotions that is allowing the righteousness and the truth of God's word to be locked up in the side? Because that's cutting off the head in your life. That's cutting off Christ in you. That's cutting off the words of knowledge for the people that you work with. That's cutting off praying for that person and seeing them healed. That's cutting off the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody and give them Jesus in a moment where they really, really need it. Because the Holy Spirit wants to get you over here for just a minute, maybe five minutes at your job. But you've got this project that has to be done. And so the world gets the preeminence and Jesus gets locked in the cell. Because over time, if you let that continue and you cut off the head that much, it's suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Those are the people that Romans 1 is talking about. People use Romans 1 to talk about the world. Romans 1 is talking about people that know the word of God, the truth of God, and that there is a God. And they deliberately go the opposite direction. And they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And they make a choice. Every single person in this room, every time, gets to make a choice every day. And look, I am walking and learning this myself. I work in the corporate world. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm saying it's worth it. The disciples... Jesus makes a statement. I think this is incredible. And I thought it was so perfect timing that the Lord brought a message into my life about two weeks ago and I was listening to it. And in the message, they, they, he shared this. And I never, I never realized it before. And then when I read it in Mark, I thought it was so cool because I just, I just read it like a couple of days after I listened to the message. It, was, it, was, it just worked out great. Holy Spirit's just right on time. But it says this. Jesus says that a prophet is not without honor except for in his own hometown and among his family members. So then he sends out the disciples to their hometowns. They're not without honor except for in their own hometown and among their relatives. And then that's where Jesus sends them. So Jesus tells everybody, this is going to be a hard place. This is what you're going to run up against. By the way, go there. Do you see what I'm saying? He's sending us to the hard places. I've got a thing up on my wall at work, and I didn't realize this. I started a fast a couple months ago, I did this fast, 
And the very first day of the fast, I was driving down a road and I came to the end of the road and there was a flag flying on this building and it said, don't give up the ship. And it just, I stopped at the stop sign. I looked up and I saw this flag, don't give up the ship. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit was just like, keep going, don't give up. I like what you're doing, move forward. Like, it was just like a go. It was like a God go, you know what I mean? So when I got to work, um, I was like, this is awesome. So, so I did what I needed to do. And then I went and printed that out and put it up on my wall. It says, don't give up the ship. Now just look at it from time to time. Don't give up the ship. Somebody walks up to me, just this random lady, never met her before. I've never seen her since. I think she works on the other side of the building. She goes, oh my goodness, you've got that up on your wall. Yeah, uh, okay. She's like, I got the flag. I'm like, I'm like, cool, that's really neat. She goes, yeah. She goes, isn't that story incredible? I'm like, what? I'm like, what story? What do you? She goes, yeah, the story of the flag. You know the story of the flag, the Battle of Lake Erie. I'm like, no, I didn't know anything about it. So, anyway, I kind of told her like I was in a Holy Spirit mode. So I'm like, yeah, I took it prophetically. And I'm like talking to her like, I don't know who this lady is. I'm like, I felt it was prophetic and God was saying that. Like, I'm just talking to her, you know, like just, hey, I felt like this is what it was. She's like, yeah, no, it's about this. And then she was gone and that was it. So I look up the story and in the story, it's the story of this captain. And like, it was mission impossible to fight for Lake Erie, to, for the Americans to keep Lake Erie. It was mission impossible during the war. I think it was the French-Indian War, something like that. It was mission impossible for America to keep Lake Erie because if Lake Erie fell, Ohio fell, Michigan fell, that whole northern area. But they rose up the flag, don't give up the ship, and they go out on the lake, and, I mean, just the battle was just crazy. I mean, it was intense. And the ship got battered super badly, like really bad. And it almost sank. I mean, it was just really, really bad. So the captain of the ship says, okay, everybody get off the ship. And they left the ship. You're not supposed to give up the ship. That was the point of the flag. But they left the ship. When they left the ship, they went over and found this other ship. They took over another ship and used that ship to win the war and went back and got their ship. So the Battle of Lake Erie was won, and this ship was like this flag, and it said, don't give up the ship. But it actually looked like they gave up the ship, and they didn't. They went back, and they got it, and they won the war. They were outnumbered like they should not have. We should not have won that war at all. We should have lost Lake Erie. I'm like, man, that ship took a beating, dude. I mean, it took a beating. And I'm thinking to myself, Oh my goodness, God, you weren't just telling me to go. You weren't just telling me not to give up the ship. You were saying no matter what comes, hell or high water, you are going to win this thing. To me, it was God saying, it's going to look really bad at times, but you're going to win. And it's going to look like you're losing and you gave up and you gave up the ship. But guess what? You're not going to win. You're not going to lose. You're not going to lose. 
to the world, it's going to look like you did something totally stupid by giving up the battleship that had all of your cannons and all of your weapons and everything that was there to win. It's going to look like you've lost it. You know why? Because you don't look like them. You don't sound like them. You don't attend their fancy little meetings. You don't do all the little thing to fluff everybody's pillows. You don't speak out of your mouth in a way that, 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 that is just fluffing people up and manipulating people to get them to do what you want to do so that you can be successful. We're not doing any of that stuff. And the world's looking at us going, you have to do that. That's what a leader does. That's what Steve Jobs did. That's what all these other inventors people did. This is what all these successful Fortune 500 people did. They, they, they manipulated and cut people off and cut them down and treated them like trash. And you're going to do the exact opposite thing. You're going to love them like Jesus did. And it's going to look like you went to a cross and he's going to show you in resurrection power. But that's only going to happen. That's only going to happen if you don't cut off the head. You cannot conform to this world. You have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not going to look normal. I'm, tr- I'm trying to get this through to some people at work that I know what you guys are saying and I know what you want me to do to be successful in a couple of areas. But I had to put my foot down in a meeting in the last week, last week, and say, I'm sorry, but that's not my standard. That is not my, look, if that's what you guys want to do, that's your business, but this is not my standard. And I got to sit there for a minute and tell a little bit of my testimony about what my life used to be like. I said, you guys don't understand. I lived in the chaos. I lived in the grays in betweens. And my life was a mess. I come to Jesus. He gives me standards. He gives me something to shoot for. He gives me a goal. And I've gone after that. And I've never gone back. And I'm sorry, but I'm not going to look like you want me to look like. Because if I look like you, I'm going to be in the same problem that you guys are in. So somebody's got to set a standard. And I'm not trying to get all self-righteous here and say that I'm doing everything properly and oh, holy is me. I'm saying holy is Jesus. I'm saying holy is God. He's worthy to give up all of these things even while you're in the midst of the job. You can be a righteous king because Jesus is a righteous king. But you can also be a wicked king and rule Israel. Meaning you have the priesthood, you have the temple, you have the sacrifices and they all look correct. You have the crown. And you can march around all you want and say, yay, victory, Jesus is mine. And he's going, you put me in the cellar a long time ago. And it's only going to take a couple of more things that come your way and you're going to cut my head right off because that promotion's going to come. Or you can buy that big boat if you just do this. Or if you hit that goal mark, then they're going to give you this, 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 and this. And you'll get that next badge or that next name tag or that next title or whatever the case may be. And I'm, I'm begging you guys, don't do it. I'm preaching from in the saddle. I'm speaking from my life. This is what I live. This is what I'm living through. 
because all this stuff is getting thrown at me and I have to make the right decision. And most of you guys here work in, in these types of environments too. But Father is calling us. He's begging us and he's wooing us to say, hey, where is your heart when you're there? Where is your mind, your will, and your emotions? Have you fully given them over to the company? There's an old song. It was, I think it was like a blues song. Um, it, you say, I sold my soul to the company store or something. It's just like an old, uh, it's like 15 tons. What do you get? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, another day older and deeper in debt. Yeah. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I sold my soul to the com- to the company store. It's it's an old song, but think about it. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. Now, that's a Catholic thing. I'm not saying that that's theologically correct. I'm simply referencing a song. St. Peter, don't call me. In other words, anything heavenly, don't call me. I can't go because I sold my soul to the company. And that's, that's what principalities want you to do. Next week, when we get together, we're going to start talking about dominion, principality, powers, and might. And I hope to spend the next four weeks going over dominion, principalities, power, and might. Because we are in a war, and it's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities, <laughs> powers, the rulers of this world. Who's that? Kings. Bosses. Yes. It does make, yes. Makes you want to cry that people sell their souls. Yes, my love. Absolutely. As the Lord, as we go back into Ephesians, because that's where we're at in, in, in chapter 1, verse 20 to, to 24, it talks about dominions, powers, and might. These are the things that we wrestle against. What does that mean? It means there's spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. What does that mean? Places of authority. And those authorities try to hold that over you. They want to put a cloud of their own witnesses before you and say, conform or die. And you've got to decide what that Colosseum answer looks like to you. As for me and my house, we're going to follow the Lord. And if we have to die, we're going to die. <laughs> Very good, sweetie. God, God is doing some really amazing things at my job right now. And I, some of the, I can't, I can't talk about all that right now. Um, just because we're recording this, but I am super excited because the last two weeks was super difficult for me. I went through a super hard time and staying steadfast in the midst of it, I'm seeing the fruit of what I'm teaching you right now, of following through with what I'm teaching you right now, what I'm sharing with you right now. I've had to live this in the last couple of weeks and I followed through and I listened. I did what the Lord told me to do and now I'm seeing amazing things happen. 
I'm not saying that's the end. It's not like he taught me something. I went through the lesson. Yay. No, this is this has to become a part of everything I do all the time, 24-7. So when the next trial comes, hey, prepared. And it's just like, oh, this again. Okay, whatever. You you have that ability. Every one of us in that room has this ability to make this decision. And you have to make this decision. Why are you in the place that you're in? Why did God place you in that place? Why did God give you that job? Why did God put you in that position? Why did God give you that promotion? Why does that person sit next to you? Why is this person always wanting to talk to you at lunch? Why does this person always seem like they're walking up the steps with you or in the door every morning at the same time? What's happening? Ask the Holy Spirit prophetically, why do I keep intersecting this person? What is going on with this person? What do you want me to say? Why am I here? You are an ambassador for Christ, which means you are there to represent the king and to give the king to people. You get to do your job in the midst of that. But your primary role is an ambassador of Christ. And I believe that God will empower you to wreck that place for the kingdom. Wherever you're at, he will wreck it for the kingdom in a good way. If you're faithful to him, if you're faithful to him. Because King Herod had the choice to be a righteous king. He was told, you can't take Herodias as your wife. He could have made the right choice and he never would have had to kill John the Baptist. He could have repented. He had his opportunity. Even a wicked king had the opportunity. But what if God's calling you to be the John the Baptist? What if you're the John the Baptist? Better yet, I'll make it even even more more than that. Jesus said, no greater man born of woman is there than John the Baptist, but anyone who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So you're actually greater than John the Baptist. Think about that. So good. So, So let's pray, and we'll call it a night. So, Father, I just thank you for anointing everybody in this place with a seriousness for your kingdom everywhere they go, Father, especially in business. Lord, I just feel a special anointing for business, God. You've placed a grace on my life, and it's been hard. It's been hard, but it's been worth it to see you break through and bring heaven to, the, to, to my job, to bring heaven to the people around me, Lord. And Lord, I just ask you to just cultivate their hearts, Lord. God, I ask you to cultivate their hearts. Holy Spirit, that you would awaken them to righteousness in the positions that you've placed them in, in the companies, in the businesses, in the work environments, in the atmospheres, God, with the people and intersect their lives, Holy Spirit, with people that are good soil for the kingdom, that are just waiting to hear the name of Jesus, just waiting to hear the answer from heaven, just hearing waiting to hear the yes of God. Father, would you just release your heart through the lips and lives of everybody in this place, everywhere they go, and wreck the kingdom of darkness, Lord. God, wreck the kingdom of darkness everywhere everyone in this room goes and bring them into the fullness of the faith. Help them to proudly wear the badge of ambassador for Christ. 
that we would be workers not ashamed. Father, that we would stand at the judgment seat of Christ and say, we didn't back down. We didn't bow. We didn't lock you in a cage. We didn't quench the Spirit. We didn't put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. We didn't grieve the Holy Spirit. But we fellowshiped with the Holy Spirit. We learned to love the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, that we learned to just be intoxicated with your fragrance and your voice. That our ears would be inclined to hear nothing but what you have to say about you, about the kingdom, about Jesus and the Father. Jesus, strengthen us. Make us bold so that we can proudly, clearly proclaim the gospel in completion without shrinking back, without bowing down, that we would be like Daniel's in the midst of Babylon, being ambassadors that change the direction of a nation. God, let us start at a business. Let it go corporately, Father. And let that network of the kingdom network through every single place that those businesses assemble and resemble that a new standard, a standard bearer would be risen, a flag would be risen with the name above every name on it and it would start in our cubicles and we would not give up the ship. Even now, Father, I just ask you that you would rearrange and you would arrange supernatural encounters that bring forth the kingdom, that bring forth the gospel, and that glorify Jesus. Bring employees into lives that represent you, magnify you, love you, and are sold out to walk in the power and the love of God that are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Bring us good soil and teach us to plant good seed. I ask you to release a grace on everyone here. Divine peace, divine strategies, business strategies that just knock the socks off of people at work, not so that we can impress them, but so that we can say our God is greater than any problem the world has, be it corporate, national, or globally. Every answer from heaven is perfect. It is holy, and it is full of love, and it is lovely. Father, give us lovely answers. Give us perfect answers, holy answers. Father, may you be glorified by our coming in and by our going out, by our laying down and by our arising, by our walking, by our running, by our driving, by our families and by our communities. May the name of Jesus be lifted up everywhere we go. So, Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you, Father, that you are teaching us how to put it above our very name as you put it above yours. And so we worship you, Father. We thank you for this today. We thank you for this tonight. We thank you for being such a good Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning into the broadcast today. Hey, I wanted to just connect with you, share with you some other ways that you can be encouraged in your faith in Christ Jesus through Fruit of the Vine Ministries. You can visit our website at fruitofthevineministries.wix.com forward slash fruit of the vine. We have our statement of faith on there. There's a lot of encouraging books, literature, things that you can get your hands on. There's, there's some good meat in there for you to be continually encouraged in. You can also contact us by sending us an email through fruitofthevineministries at gmail.com right here in the form on the website. Also, you can connect with us on Facebook at Fruit of the Vine Ministries Ohio. So if you go on Facebook, it's Fruit of the Vine Ministries Ohio. You'll find the Fruit of the Vine Ministries logo. And from there, just like the page and you'll get encouraging scriptures. You'll get encouraging memes, things that you can share with your friends to say, hey, listen, I follow Yeshua Jesus. I want to give you another opportunity that some people take to take advantage of. Our P.O. Box, you can write us a letter. You can let us know how you've been encouraged and strengthened in your face. And if you feel led by the Holy Spirit, you can also send a check and you can help us and support financially what Father is doing here. It's P.O. Box 222, Louisville, Ohio, 44641. And you can make that out to John Davison. There's also a link to, to give on our uh, website as well. Another way that you can listen and tune in is through our radio broadcasts. Every Sunday morning on local Christian radio at 10.30 a.m. on 90.1 WJEE and 90.9 WJDD Faith Ministry Radio. And you can connect with us each week there, listen to new encouraging messages. And then also our podcasts are available as well through podbean.com. Go to Fruit of the Vine Ministries on podbead.com. Just click the subscribe and follow, and you can follow some of the latest podcasts. Sometimes they're long, sometimes they're short, sometimes they're just very short, encouraging messages. And just wanted to give you an outlet so that you can, hey, listen, if God moves on you and you want more, if you want more of Jesus, we want to give you every ounce of grace that God has given to us. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. And we want to encourage the church to walk in power, strength, Holiness, righteousness, completely covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, walking as normal Christians in the supernatural and seeing friends, neighbors, loved ones, co-workers coming to faith, salvation knowledge in Yeshua HaMashiach. So thank you very much for spending your time with us today. And God bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Shalom.